like a scarecrow in a melon patch. Their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm. Nor can they do any good. Well, again, welcome to Artisan Church. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We are in week two of our new series. The series title is Scarecrow, asking the question, what are you afraid of? And as we uh, get into it, uh, last week, Pastor Jason talked about uh, some scarecrows in our lives. And uh, this week, we're going to look at specifically scarecrow superstitions, things that we might believe or might think are affecting us, uh, but really aren't. In fact, if we define a scarecrow, let's, let's first look at uh, that Jeremiah passage again, because that's kind of our driving scripture for this whole series. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 10, and it's verse 5. It says this, it says, and this is the cool thing about having a cold, is I can sound like the guy that did the voiceover for the video. So, Jeremiah 10, verse 5. It says, like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. So that is our driving scripture for us in this series, thinking about the things in our lives that might seem real at first, but really... They can't harm us, nor can they help us. And so, as we look at, uh, maybe we take an example from our friend here, the scarecrow. You know, the thing about scarecrows is, to a crow that's flying way up in the air, a scarecrow looks real. It looks like a, a person, a farmer, that's standing there, tending the crops. But when you get close to a scarecrow, you realize that it's nothing but Empty clothes filled with straw and fluff, stubble. And as we're thinking about superstitions in our lives, I think it'd be helpful to define what a superstition is. So I looked it up on the web, and here's what the web told me. So you've got to believe it. If it's on the Internet, this is true. This is what the web said. A superstition is an irrational belief that an object action, or circumstance not logically related to a course of events influences its outcome. So how many of you are baseball fans? How many of you watch or play baseball? Yes? What it, you know, you, you got to get up. You got to get out of the right side of bed, right? You got you to wear the right clothes that day. doesn't matter if they're dirty or clean. You got to put the right clothes on. You got to put the hat on. And it's, it's, so it's inside out and backwards. That's the rally cap. That means we're going to start slugging them in, right? So these are all Baseball superstitions. Wearing a baseball cap one way inside out doesn't really affect how your team is going to do out there. It's a superstition. There's lots of different superstitions. Now, how many of you have heard uh, never walk under a ladder? You've heard that before? Don't walk under a ladder? Anybody know why? Why you don't walk under a ladder? It might fall on you. 
That's a real good reason why not to walk under a ladder. But traditionally, the superstition about walking under a ladder is because the ladder, when it either is in an A-frame or when it's leaning against a house or a tree or something like that, it makes a triangle. And a triangle is a symbol of life. It's also the symbol of the Trinity. And walking through that, you are tempting your fate. Okay, so there's a superstition. Or maybe, how many of you have ever spilled the salt and somebody told you, oh, th quick, throw it over your left shoulder. Anybody ever hear that before? Throw the salt over your left shoulder. You know why? Because the evil spirits are on the left side and you're going to throw that salt over your shoulder and maybe get them in the eye or something like that and hurt the evil spirits. And there's many, many, many superstitions I think we could think of. In fact, one of them that is common to, to this time of year that you'll probably see more and more of this week as the, as the day gets closer, is the story of Stingy Jack. Stingy Jack lived many, many years ago, and he was a glutton and a drunkard. And Stingy Jack one day was in a bar, and the devil himself sat next to Stingy Jack, trying to get Jack to give him his soul. And Stingy Jack said, well, tell you what, I'm all out of cash, and I want one more drink. If you pay for this drink, I'll give you my soul. So the devil didn't have any money on him, so he told Jack, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change myself into a coin. You pay for your drink with that coin, and then I'll change myself back, and I will take your soul. So Stingy Jack agreed. So the devil changes himself into a coin, and Stingy Jack quickly takes the coin and sticks it into his pocket where he has a silver cross. Now, of course, the devil can't change back at this point. So Jack says to the devil, tell you what, I'll make you a deal. If you do not harm me for 10 years, I will let you change back. So the devil agrees. Jack takes the coin out of his pocket. The devil changes back, and he's fine for 10 years. Then on a dark Halloween night, 10 years later, stingy Jack is walking down the path, and he comes upon the devil. The devil says, it's been 10 years, Jack. I'm here for your soul. And Jack says, may I have one last request? And the devil said, sure. I want to taste the sweet nectar of an apple one last time before I go. And so the devil says, fine. So Jack says, well, there's an apple tree. Climb up and get me one. So the devil climbs up the tree and Jack takes his silver cross out of his pocket and puts it on the tree so the devil can't get down. So the devil being stuck up in the tree says, all right, what do you want this time? And Jack says, if I let you down, you have to promise never to take my soul to hell. So the devil agrees and Jack takes the cross away and the devil goes away. Later that year, Stingy Jack died. And being a drunkard and a glutton, he gets to the pearly gates of heaven and St. Peter says to him, No, I'm sorry. You may not enter. You must go to hell. So Stingy Jack goes to hell and comes to Satan and Satan says, I'm sorry. No. We made a deal. You can't come in here. So Stingy Jack asks, Well, where am I to go? And the devil says, back from whence you came. So Stingy Jack starts to walk back to roam the earth for all of eternity. And as he walks in the darkness, he asks Satan for one last thing. 
He says, it's so dark. Could I please have something to light my way? So the devil tosses Jack an ember from the very fires of hell. And stingy Jack takes a turnip and carves it into a lantern and puts the ember into the lantern. And thus we have Jack, oh, the lantern. The jack-o'-lantern. That is the superstition of the jack-o'-lantern. That's the story of how we do this, why we do these things like put jack-o'-lanterns out on our front porch for Halloween. And there are many, many Halloween superstitions that I, I'm sure we could talk about today. Even things like wearing costumes, you know, that comes from the, the tradition that on Halloween, it being all Hallow's Eve or Hallow's Evening, and we just shorten it to Halloween, it is the night before the Celtic New Year. And the Celts believe that when there's a time change, when there's a season change, that the veil between the living and the dead was very thin. And so during this new year, they would celebrate and they would do things like put on costumes to fool the evil spirits. And so we've kind of adopted that tradition in our own culture. The funny thing is, is that as much as the church says that it does not like Halloween, it's much the church's fault that we celebrate Halloween to this day because early in the church, the Pope decided that uh, in order to do away with this holiday or maybe incorporate it into the, the church year, uh, they were going to celebrate All Souls Day or All Saints Day. And that is actually on November 1st, the day afterwards. So the church kind of perpetuated this whole Halloween thing. So as we're thinking about superstitions, I think there's, there's a couple things that we need to realize. You know, we as Christians might think, well, good Christians don't, celebrate Halloween. No, what, what do we do? What do good Christians do, good Christian churches do? What do we have? Harvest parties. Isn't that wonderful? We have a harvest party. And the funny thing about harvest parties is that is what the Celts were doing way back in that started Halloween all in the first place is they were having a harvest party. Now, I, just, <laughs> I, have, to, I have to chuckle at that because I think sometimes we get a little self-righteous as the church and say, you know, shame on you for dressing up and going door-to-door and trick-or-treating and stuff like that. We're going to be good Christians and have our harvest parties and, and celebrate the bounty of the land and, and uh, maybe sacrifice a few animals or something like that. But no, we don't do that in the church. We don't do that. So, superstitions. I think there's a couple ways we can look at superstitions. One is the superstitions that we may hold, those people that have made the decision to follow after Christ, that are, that are Christians, that are Christ followers, the superstitions that we hold. Then there are the superstitions that people that are outside the church that are kind of maybe checking things out, asking questions about, can I believe this church thing, this Jesus stuff, the superstitions that they might view of the church. Now, if we look at the first group, the the Christ followers and what superstitions we have, I think we need to ask questions. What in our lives is superstitious? What in our faith, when you really get up close and look at it, is not real. What, upon close examination, is really just full of straw and fluff? You know, maybe for some of us, 
It's believing that a little plastic wobbly trinket on our dashboard is going to keep us safe. Or maybe it's a medallion that we've put up in our visor. Maybe it's a medal that we hang around our neck. Maybe we as Christ followers have found that we believe in things that bring us peace. Things like beautiful portraits and paintings done by the painter of light. And those bring us peace and wholeness and fulfillment. What are the scarecrows in our lives? Maybe it's coming here every week or going to a religious service every week and sitting down in a pew or in a chair and listening to some guy go on and on and on and believing that somehow that is what our faith and what God is all about. What are our superstitions? What are the superstitions of the church? Maybe our superstition is that, that we're, we have the Word of God and we rightly divide the Word of God and, and we rightly use it to club somebody over the head with. Is that our superstition? See, I think the scariest verse in Scripture speaks directly to people that call themselves Christ followers. Very frightening verse, I believe. I, I don't know if you would agree with me, but it's found in Matthew chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them up to Matthew chapter 7. There are Bibles on the floor underneath your chair if you'd like to use one of those, or the words will also be up on the screen. Now, Matthew chapter 7 is a, is a very special time, I believe, in Christ's ministry. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 are something called the Sermon on the Mount. And basically, what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is saying to people, here are your superstitions. Here is what you've been told. Here is what you think you know. Let me show you what's really going on here. And so for three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus talks about, you have heard it said, but I tell you, and goes into this great description of all these different practices and beliefs that the Jews and the religious people of that time were doing, thinking that that was going to get them closer to God. And it's in Matthew 7 that I think it's the, the most frightening verse of Scripture. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23 say this, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me. You evildoers. Now, I don't know about you, but that is one of the most frightening scriptures in the whole Bible for me. Did, did you hear, did you read what people were doing? They were, they were casting out demons. They were doing good works in God's name. And Jesus says to them, I never knew you. That's scary. Perhaps they had a superstition 
that by doing these works, by doing these certain things, by acting a certain way, that they were getting in good with God. And Jesus says, no. The way to get in good with God is to do the will of my Father, to be in relationship with God. But we'll get into that in just a second. So that's Christianity from uh, the superstitions around Christianity, maybe from the perspective of some people that are in the church. Now, what about those people that may be here today that are, came to the spooktacular or, or maybe just saw the signs driving by and are curious about this whole Jesus thing and maybe what the Bible is and what it has to say? And, you know, if we are really honest with ourselves about Christianity, Christianity is kind of a spooky religion. It really is. So you're, you're going to tell me that some Jewish carpenter that lived 2,000 years ago that was beat up by a bunch of Roman centurions that was nailed to a big tree and died and supposedly rose from the dead has an impact on me? That's superstitious. That's the definition of superstition, that an object, action, or circumstance not logically related to a course of events, my life, influences its outcome. That's huge superstition. In fact, at the time of Christ, or shortly after that, in the early church, if you read the Roman historians, the perspective of this cult that they called Christianity was pretty morose. I mean, they wrote about the Christians, that they, these Christians, these Christ followers would have these love feasts. And in these love feasts, they would do things like cannibalism. They would eat flesh, drink blood. They would sacrifice children. That's pretty spooky stuff. Come on, join the bus. Let's all become Christians. Come on, we're going to go drink blood, eat flesh. It's going to be a grand old time. But yet, we're here as the church, as Christ followers. And the thing that God tells us to do is to share this good news with other people. So how do we do that? How do we share the good news with other people? See, because what makes what Christianity has special? You know, Christians, we have magic bread, which isn't there. So someone's going to have to put that on the plate before th uh, we get to the table over here. We have magic bread as Christians, right? Jews, they have magic hats. Mormons, magic underwear. So... What makes Christianity different? Everybody's got their little magic thing that is supposed to make a difference. What makes Christianity different? How would someone that has never heard this story, has never heard about Jesus before, come to believe that this is truth? One scripture that I didn't put a slide up here, but I invite you to write it down and check it out this week is 1 Corinthians 1, 18. And, you know, sometimes I think that we as Christians, this is our attitude. When someone asks us about our faith and maybe challenges the idea that our, our faith sounds a little superstitious, we use something like 1 Corinthians 
chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the message about the cross is foolishness for those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's a little Christian nanananana verse, you know. Because you don't have a relationship with Christ, of course you're not going to understand this stuff. Of course it doesn't make sense to you. Of course it sounds superstitious. But I don't think we can do that as Christ followers. I, you know, I think Jesus lays out for us that we're to share good news and we're to do it in such a way that it's attractive to people. But here's the tension. And I think it's summed up in a, a phrase that Pilate, Pontius Pilate, asked Jesus as Jesus stood before him and was about to be beaten and crucified. Pontius Pilate, someone outside the church, didn't understand this whole Jewish religion, this idea of a savior, really did not make sense to him. He asked this question. The question is, quid est veritas? What is truth? Quid est veritas? I invite you to, to write this down, quid est veritas, because it's really... The answer to this question is in the question itself. This is actually a Roman riddle. Quid est veritas? The answer to the question is est vir qui adest. In Latin, that means the man who is before you, the man that is here. Pilate asks, what is truth? And the question is the man that is standing before you is truth. Well, how do we prove that? How do we help somebody to understand that Christ is truth? You see, superstitions, scarecrows, work because of fear. But I think truth works because it gives us freedom. And it releases us from that fear. So how do we express truth? See, here's the tension. Here's the conundrum that we're in. We have no tangible way of showing someone truth. You see, even in Paul's letters, he says this in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Write this down and check it out this week, but it'll be also on the screen. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. See, I have been given this gift through faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us this. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things what? Not seen. Well, that's a real problem, isn't it? Because we have a bunch of people saying, show us that this faith that you have is real. And we say, well, you have to believe it by faith. 
And so this week, what I encourage you to do to help you grow in your faith is to take that Hebrews 11 chapter and go home and look at it. Because in Hebrews 11, what it does is it first defines what faith is, and then it shows how people have acted in faith. Talks about Abram. Talks about Moses. Talks about how Abram, God tells him, get up, leave your country. And by faith, Abram did it. And he was blessed. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know why he was going there other than God gave him this promise that seemed really unlikely to happen. Moses, by faith, left his privileges and his rights as an adopted Egyptian. Gave it all up so that he could lead his people, the Jews, by faith. And you see, so here it is, this tension that we have to deal with as, as Christ followers that we have people saying that our faith looks very superstitious and all we have to offer very much looks like superstition. This just belief. But that's what we have. In my own life, I know that before I crossed that line, before I made that decision to surrender my life to God, to make Him Lord of my life, that I tried everything else. Quite literally. Tried drugs, tried alcohol, tried women. None of it worked. All of it... You know, there's the talk about the the big hole that we're trying to fill. Just kind of made that hole bigger. And it was by faith, when someone told me what I was really looking for was a relationship with God, that I was able to step into that. Micah, I invite you to write this down. I don't have a slide for it. Micah 6, verse 8, talks about The Lord has told you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do justice, to love mercy or loving kindness, and to walk humbly with God. See, that's what God is calling us to. See, if we want to make this real, if we want to make these scarecrows go away and find what is real, here's the thing to love justice. To love mercy or loving kindness and to walk humbly with God. You see, it all starts, and if you look at the the words in the Hebrew, and I won't really get down deep into this today, but maybe you can do this on your own this week. If you look at the words in the original language, the walk humbly with God is just that, a relationship. The loving kindness is a loving kindness that can only be experienced when you understand what true loving kindness is. And you have to know the one that is true and loving and kind. And in order to know true justice, you have to understand the just one and to walk with that just one. And so, how can I tell you that my faith is not a superstition? I can only tell you that because in my life, God changed my life and filled that hole that I was trying to fill with everything else, that I now have the peace and the hope and the joy that I was looking for before. So how do we tell others that 
It's not just superstition. Well, it's by faith. But it's a faith that's lived out in your own walk. In just a moment, I invite you to respond to all that we just heard. And in doing so, I'd like you to take some time before you respond. Bring to mind, ask yourself the question, what are the scarecrow superstitions in my life? What is it right now that I might be believing in that's taken the place of God in my life? That might be just empty clothes stuffed with straw. Maybe it's the belief that coming here every Sunday is going to somehow make a difference. You know, maybe it's the belief that going out there and saying things in Jesus' name is going to make a difference. Matthew tells us, no. Unless you're doing the will of God, that will of God being loving, loving kindness, mercy, justice, unless you're doing that, unless you're walking humbly with your God, it's all just empty straw, stubble. So bring to mind anything that might be in your heart, might be in your actions, and really just, I, I encourage you to lay that at the feet of this scarecrow. You can just kind of do that mentally. Just put it at the feet of the scarecrow. And then I invite you to come on over to the, this table, which is, I believe, the table of truth. What is truth? It is the man before you. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this, eat it, and when you do, remember me. Remember my brokenness, my sacrifice for you. After supper was ended, he took the cup and he blessed it and he shared it with his friends and his family and all those at table. And he said, take this and drink it. And when you do, remember me. Remember the truth that you are separated from God but because of my broken body and my poured out blood because of my sacrifice there is a way that we can have that relationship with God so lay your scarecrow superstitions at the foot of the scarecrow and then come to the foot of the cross and find the truth that will set you free. Let's bow our hearts. Father, thank you for this time that we have to share. Thank you for your word that really does challenge us. Thank you for this idea that we just need to take a look at our hearts and our lives and really search for anything in our life that might be a scarecrow, a superstition, and Lord, we offer that to you to remove from our hearts and from our lives. Help us to find what is true. That man that stands before us, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. The table will be open for the remainder of our time of worship here today. So take your time. And meditate on uh, maybe some of the things in life that need to kind of be laid at the foot of the scarecrow.
And then we invite you to take a piece of the bread, dip it in either the wine or the juice, and just give thanks for the truth of wholeness and relationship that we can have in Jesus Christ.